Ten years ago, a crack commando unit was sent to prison by a military court for a crime they didn't commit. These men promptly escaped from maximum security stockade to the Los Angeles underground. Today, still wanted by the government, they survive as soldiers of fortune. If you have a problem, if no one else can help, and if you can find them, maybe you can hire the A-Team. The Colorado Equals Security Podcast is your local source for regional security news, local events, and interviews with key individuals in the region. Now, here are your hosts, Rob Rack and Alex Wood. Welcome to Colorado Equals Security. Alex, you fired up? I am totally fired up, Rob. I can't believe that somehow the mainstream media missed the 35th anniversary of the A-Team. Um, I think that... Everyone just had their head in the sand because they didn't want to think that it was 35 years ago that it was actually the A-Team. Yeah, so as we celebrate our first anniversary, we also celebrate the 35th anniversary of our of most of our introduction to, to Mr. T, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So do you have a favorite uh, A-Team character or memory? You know, um, they obviously they were all pretty good. Um, I think pretty much every episode had the same plot line. You know, you throwing a couple of th- uh, cars that flip over or planes or helicopters that blow up. And then, you know, you make it a little bit different. Yeah. Um, I, don't, I don't know. Probably Murdoch. He was probably my favorite. The, yeah. You know, got to like the crazy guy. It was definitely, for me, it was definitely Mr. T. Like, yeah. Yeah, you know, he's just so uh, bigger than life and yeah. uh, something you'd never seen before. That uh, was pretty fun. Anyway, that's our fun thing. I guess I have one other interesting fact this week. That, uh, this is today, the, the 4th of February, is the 14th anniversary of the launch of thefacebook.com. That's pretty crazy. Um, again, it shouldn't have been 14 years ago. It does not seem like it has been that long. Uh, something that has turned into a, a fixture of American life. Yeah. Uh, none none really of our isn't kids, that old. Our kids have never heard of a world without the Facebook. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Go All right. Mark Zuckerberg. Maybe we can do some real news here, huh? Uh, before we do that again, <laughs> um, let's make sure everybody knows to sign up for our mailing list. Uh, so we can get show notes, show notes out to you and also join our Slack channel, Growing every week, lots yep. of chatter in there. Um, added some new channels. It's been uh, been really going well. One the other thing, if you haven't uh, uh, gone and reviewed the show yet, please do. I was just looking. We have we have a, a good number of views now on iTunes, but we it doesn't look like we have much of anything on Google Play. Well, so hit us up over there. Android is clearly much less secure, so no one uses mm-hmm. Android. Absolutely, that, yeah. that must be it. It's the Google's fault. It's the yeah. Google's fault. Uh, so uh, first, actual news story: um, former. Mayor Wellington Webb uh, wants to bring back the Mile High Stadium name. Yeah, I, he he, want, he doesn't want to go sell it to yet another corporate right. sponsor. He wants to call it uh, Mile High Stadium. I think what was at Pat Bowlin Field. Pat Bowlin Field. Yeah, um, I no one had yet pitched to him the Colorado Equal Security Stadium idea. I think, and I think if if we get a hold of him, that 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 could have some real legs. Well, I think one of his plans actually was to essentially sell smaller sponsorships, not a big name, you mm-hmm. know. So, you know, people get to buy bricks and seats and stuff like that. So yeah. I'm, I'm sure we could afford to get a, um, you know, a piece of that somehow. A Colorado Equal Security brick. That's right. <laughs> Look, everybody, this is the chair, the Colorado Security, Colorado Equal Security chair at Mile High Stadium. Yeah. Maybe cup holder. We can afford that. Yeah, probably. All right. So uh, next piece of news, Dish Networks has bought a parking startup called Parkify. And this is really an IoT play, it looks like. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Seems like uh, they are moving in the direction of building out their wireless network. You know, they've bought a lot of wireless spectrum over the last few years, trying to, to I think, eventually transform the company. Um, one of these days, you know, your traditional cable or satellite TV is, is not going to be 
uh, in existence anymore. We're going to be doing something else. So I think they're looking for other uh, other business models. Yeah. They, so they spent eleven billion dollars on additional spec wireless spectrum, and um, you know they're thinking that things like parking sensors, street lights, uh, gas meters can all be connected to this network that they're creating. That could be you know where they go next. Yeah, and I think this is you know a little bit of an aqua hire. Mm-hmm. Um, for Parkify, they're a, an IoT company making parking sensors. So get that team in and uh, and help build out that network. Absolutely. Uh, next, uh, Catalyst Accelerator launches their first cohort. So this is a, I don't think an accelerator that we've talked about before. They're no. actually down in, in Southern Colorado, sort of Colorado Springs area. Um, but cool that there is another technology accelerator that is out there and they obviously just launched their first class. As you might expect in Colorado Springs, they're focused on defense and national security, uh, but they are you know, starting up brand new companies. And this is their first cohort just launched on January 30th at their Catalyst campus in the Springs. Yeah, and they, they noted a couple companies in there. It looked like one was something about radar and you know, other sort of defense-related technologies yeah. there. Um, so next we have the, the Chick Tech Denver this really kicked off to help uh, young girls find STEM careers. Yeah, so th- this is a another um, women in technology focused organization. They actually have uh, two programs: one called Chick Tech Career, which is open to um, all women, all ages, um, all industries, and, and it's around networking and, and workshops. And then they also have a, a Chick Tech High School program, which uh, focuses on getting teenagers excited about technology and training. Um, in STEM, obviously. So uh, good thing again there. Yeah. Lots of movement in this area. Similar story. Um, one of the podcasts I listen to every day is the Colorado Public Radio's Colorado Matters podcast, which is about it's about 45 minutes each day that uh, talks just about local Colorado stuff. And last Monday, I heard our friend Debbie Blythe on the podcast, along with uh, uh, a high school student, um, talking about the Girls Go Cyber program. So really launching that and kind of an interesting opportunity. We have a link in the show notes if you guys want to hear that podcast and and hear them talk about that new program. We always like to have people listening to other podcasts as long as you hear ours also. Yeah. Yeah, And you'll see that it's not really very competitive. (laughs) (laughs) But it is a good one. It's way higher quality than us, but they're not talking about anything we talk about is what I mean by that. Uh, Next, there was an article this week about the 50 Colorado tech startups to watch. Um, and we had some uh, security companies that were on that list, uh, ProtectWise, CyberGRC, or GRC, GRX, uh, Swimlane, and ThreadX. And then also on there was a, a startup called Salt Lending. Um, they're a, um, with lending in the name, a financial services startup, but it's also uh, blockchain-based. Yeah, I think it's all it's all cryptocurrency-focused lending, right? I think, that, yeah. I think that's what they're doing. Interesting company up north, and we're going to have a, a job from that company coming later in the show. Yeah, glad to see that there are cybersecurity startups on that list. Next, we have an article talking about GDPR how and how it's impacting Colorado tech businesses. Some stories uh, from Optiv, and there's another example or two in there from local companies and how they're dealing with GDPR. So it, this is probably for those who are not front of the line thinking about GDPR, but those who are wondering what the downstream effects are going to be. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a good example if someone, you know, you're talking about GDPR and they're like, uh, it can't be that much work, can it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe read this article. Maybe read yeah. this article. Yeah. Uh, next, uh, Kroll announced a, an exclusive partnership with Red Canary. Uh, so interesting stuff there. Um, Kroll, among other things, does incident response and, and forensics, that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and they are teaming up with Red Canary, sort of have Red Canary be that front line, the um, management detection response. 
Um, and then uh, Kroll can do the back end, the, uh, the actual incident response and that sort of thing. So I actually have worked with both companies in the past. Um, and I have no insider information about exactly what their relationship looks like, but I would assume that this is a chance for Kroll to resell what Red Canary does. Um, if they have any kind of integration, that'd be interesting, but it seems like there's probably not a lot. It's probably more of a resale relationship there. Yeah. Um, next, we have news about one Colorado company partnering with another Colorado company that's coming to us from New Zealand. <laughs> it's a little odd, right? Uh, but uh, Logarithm is getting uh, threat intel directly from Webroot. And Webroot is you know, one of their big offerings is threat intelligence. They're going to use Webroot's threat intelligence to enrich their SIM. And we get this news from Secure Br- Security Brief New Zealand. Um, well, you know, they are earlier on the time zone, so it may be that they just picked this up before everybody else. News breaks first in New Zealand. I like it. Exactly. <laughs> I like it. I'm sure somebody down there already has that slogan. <laughs> uh, but, you know, Logarithm, they do have sort of a, a built-in um, ability to consume threat intelligence into their product. And this looks like Webroot is now another one of the, the folks that is built into that. Yeah. Um, Optiv had a blog this week about uh, cloud critical controls. Uh, looks a little bit interesting here. They were taking the... Uh, the CSA um, cloud control matrix and uh, CIS uh, standards and kind of putting them together into their their own cloud control standard. So yeah, they, it looks like there's about 10 different categories. They've got architecture, identity access management, data, visibility, threat protection, application security, governance risk and, con- and compliance, incident response, business reliance, and legal and privacy. And really looking at how do you do each of these things in the cloud and I, and I love this approach because it's fundamentally different than how we do all of these things in an on-premise environment. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, th- those who've, you know, the, the days of thinking you just kind of move from one data center to a cloud data center it, it are way, way in the past. You know, your fundamental changes as what you do in the cloud. And I think they do a good job capturing that here. Uh, so next, there was a blog from Virtual Armor, uh, Cyber Threats, How Finance Directors Should Prepare. Yeah, so this is for uh, those of us who who might want to have you know some something to bring to your CFO or your your finance team to say why does security matter? If you have any problems getting buy in from that team or you want to give them some talking points, this is a good article that really speaks their language, and you guys can use it as uh, as ammo to, to help with that conversation. Next, we have a blog from uh, Zvelo, and we've never talked about Zvelo before on this show, have we? No, because it's not the easiest to say Zvelo. Yeah, I'm not sure if I'm saying it right or not, but it's Z-V-E-L-O. And it looks like what they do is is really categorization of URLs and websites um, that other companies will, like OEM and into, the, into what they do. Um, yeah, for, so your your web filtering right, product right. may use Zvelo's uh, intelligence. But they're here in Denver, right? They they're are in here Greenwood in Village, yep. in the tech center area. Uh, so the, the blog is about IoT, cybersecurity, and uh, reach, whether it's reaching a tipping point. Yeah. Uh, so really just talking about how uh, IoT security is becoming more and more of a, a topic of conversations for security leaders and something we need to come up with solutions for. You know, part of the solution they're suggesting is, of course, using their ty- types of technology to, to get uh, more categorization and, and make better, more intelligent decisions about it. Uh, I think this is, a, you know, obviously a big conversation that we don't have one solution for. Yeah, I think it was a little bit more of a, a hopeful blog post. I, I'm not sure that... Um, that it really, IoT security is really reaching a tipping point. But, you know, maybe if you said, we really hope soon that IoT security right. will, will reach a tipping point and people will start to do something, then that might have Well, I think it's, a re- it's reaching a tipping point into becoming a massive problem. It's, it's well, tipping that's... into massive problem territory at this point. Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, jumping over to trivia, right? We, we had our question last week, which was name the two other security podcasts that are created here in Colorado. The the tense of the word are is important because there was a, a previous podcast that was created here uh, by Chris Nickerson. Uh, remind the me of the name. Exotic Liability. Exotic podcast. Liability. That is out of, out of uh, production now. But there are two current ones. There's the Cybersecurity Interviews podcast by uh, Douglas Brush. Uh, he moved here last year, and, we, and uh, we've actually been on that show. Uh, and then there's the one from the Springs called New Cyber Frontier, put together by Christopher Gorog, um, that really focuses on a little bit more military-ish defense-type stuff than we do. Um, but he's also looking at a national picture, not the Colorado picture. Yep. Uh, we had a winner, right? We had a winner this week. Um, so the winner for this one was, uh, Brian Barnhart, Brian, congratulations and enjoy your Colorado equal security, uh, water bottle. I believe he picked the water bottle from the store. Congratulations, Brian. And as always, thanks to Andre Gata, who was our sponsor for the show. So this week, our uh, trivia question is what Colorado statutes prohibit computer slash cyber crime? What Colorado statute, huh? We want to know what law it is. This is interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this is the, the, obviously the more Colorado focused question. Uh, we know that people are breaking the law when they do bad things, but what is the law? And uh, yeah, what is the law, Rob? Yeah, I guess people are gonna have to look it up. Look it up. Send us a note. If you get the right number, uh, you're the winner. And I did say, say statutes, not statues. There's no statues that <laughs> pro- prohibit Colorado. And uh, uh, and send an email to info at colorado-security.com or hit us up on the Slack channel. Don't do it in a public channel. Do it in, in, a, in a DM if you're yep, do it there. Exactly. All right, uh, so let's move on to events. Uh, of course, on the website, we do have our event calendar. So please check that out for all the latest events. And the first one we have this week, uh, on the 5th of February, there is a cybersecurity uh, reception with the British government. Also on the 5th, DenSec is doing their South meetup. I saw on Twitter they were looking for a place. I suggested they meet at the Chinook Tavern. So if they don't meet at the Chinook Tavern, there's something wrong. Yeah, clearly. <laughs> Uh, on the 6th, uh, Women in Security are having their uh, quarterly meeting. On the 7th, CTA has their CTA 101 event where you really can get introduced to CTA and learn what places you can get plugged in there. Also, CTA uh, booking on top of themselves. Also on the 7th, they have an actionable analytics event. On the 8th, SecureSet has their career conversations with Elaine uh, Marino. Um, also on the 8th. CTA has a SkillWorks skill-based hiring and training. This is a really big week for the CTA. It appears to be. Because um, also on the 8th, they're doing their Go Code Colorado kickoff. Nice, nice. Um, following that, uh, on the 9th through the 11th, CTA is doing the Startup Weekend Women Denver. Yeah, they're, they're doing a good job in the next week or so. Uh, ISSA Denver has their February meetings on the 13th and 14th. So if you're looking to do something really romantic with your sweetie, I think taking her to the the DTC ISSA meeting and and getting some free food at the Microsoft campus, that sounds like a pretty romantic way to spend the afternoon. That's exactly what I was thinking about doing, Rob. You read my mind. Um, On the 15th, SecureSet is doing their Cybersecurity Expert Series with Chris Roberts of Acalvio. So Chris is great. And it looks like Chris is actually, I I talked to the folks at SecureSet. He's actually going to be doing two meetings with them um, in February. And then he's going to come back again in March. So if you want to get a chance to get to know Chris and his very interesting story, I recommend coming to one or both of those. Um, On the 15th uh, as well, we have ISACA doing their February meeting. And it's active defense. Uh, when can you hit back, basically? And then finally, on the 15th, uh, DenSec is doing their North Meetup, um, which um, probably will not be at the Chinook Tavern because that is not in the North. 
Uh, let's jump over to jobs. Uh, this week we have a, a fun job over at Schwab. They're hiring a director of risk analysis. Sweet. Uh, Camping World is looking for a director of IT systems and security. So Did you know that Camping World was in Denver? You know, um, it, it's funny when you say that. It Actually, I believe their office is not far from mine. Really? Yeah. I, 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 I'd driven by it and hadn't realized that that's what it was. Maybe you should have known that. Uh, Aero Electronics is hiring a security architect. Conversant is looking for an IT security engineer. And I'll just say a, a couple positive things about this. I, I had the chance to go in. I, I think I mentioned this uh, an interview the CEO and founder at Conversant. And I was just blown away at what a great culture, what a great place to work this would be. Um, so if you're looking for uh, a security job at a at a company that's doing some really good stuff, trying to make the world a little bit more ethical and treat people better, uh, and you want to work at a really fun place where there's as many dogs around the office as there are people, <laughs> uh, this would be a great spot for you. Uh, and I got to talk with Cole Krems, who's, who's the uh, hiring manager, the VP of security over there. I think it'd be a good place to work. He's looking for, I, I did send him a note about this. He's looking for someone who's, um, quite good at system security and network security. Those are kind of the, the two key skills for him. Cool. Uh, next, Salt Lending is looking for a security analyst. And of course, we talked about Salt Lending earlier. Get, get involved with cryptocurrency. I don't know if they pay you in Bitcoin or US dollars. If, <laughs> uh, that could be really good if you can get them to pay you in Bitcoin. Well, it, it, depending on what, what, when they pay you and it when you cash be, it out. It could be terrible. Right. It could, yeah. it could be awful. Uh, Kodolsky Security is hiring a principal advisor on strategy and governance. This is working for John Hellickson, a friend of ours. John was previously the CISO at First Data, and now he's, I don't know, big wig at Kodolsky, who runs this group. Uh, Stroh's Friedberg is looking for a vice president for enterprise sales. We have a few sales jobs this week. Uh, we know we have some salespeople who listen. If you're tired of that lame company you're working for, this, <laughs> these better companies might be the right solution, right? Uh, Coalfire is hiring a sales executive focused on cloud and technology services. Uh, Silence is looking for an enterprise sales manager in Denver. And Stealth Bits is looking to hire an account manager here in Denver as well. Sweet. Uh, that's that, our job. That takes that's take the end of the jobs, the end of the show, uh, until we jump it over to the feature interview. This week is with Steve Wastel. Steve, who we had to rush to get him into the yes. uh, show here, right? Yes. So I interviewed Steve a couple weeks back, and then we, we heard this week that Steve is actually leaving Stars, yeah. uh, moving on to another opportunity. So we wanted to get his interview out um, while he was still still fresh. Before it ages too much. Right. right? Exactly. <laughs> uh, but a uh, really interesting interview with Steve. Um, I, I know you guys are going to enjoy that. All right. Well, thanks a lot, Alex. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks, Rob. All right, bye-bye. This is Sue LaPierre, CISO at Pelagis. This is Colorado Equals Security. For Colorado security professionals, by Colorado security professionals. So this is Alex Wood with Colorado Equals Security, and this is the interview segment. Uh, today, I am talking to Steve Wastel with Stars Entertainment. How are you doing, Steve? Hey, pretty good, Alex. Thanks for having me. Sure, glad you could make some time to, to come and chat. Um, so I think like what we normally do, Steve, I want to give you a chance to introduce yourself, uh, tell folks who you are, where you've come from in your career, what you've done, how you got to where you are today. So I'll, I'll kick it over okay. to you and let you start. Great. So, uh, so at STARS, my official title is Senior Director, IT Security Architecture and Solutions. Okay. That's really hard to say without like uh, taking a couple pauses. It's a big title, but essentially STARS is... We're, we're a mid-sized company. We've got, I think, in the order of 650, 700 staff total. IT and the technology groups, maybe, you know, about a quarter of that, right, between our broadcast and everything else. 
Uh, my team was formed a couple of years ago, so I used to be, prior to that, I was kind of the security guy in independent. I spent a bit of time managing the network team there and trying to also do security. We formed our team to try to uh, engage more with the business and at the same time give a little more teeth to some of our security efforts. So, yeah, so that's, what I'm, that's what I'm doing today. Um, you know, in terms of how I came to this, it's interesting. I've listened to some of the other podcasts and a lot of folks really didn't grow up in security and I'm one of those, right? So, yeah. uh, so uh, I actually, uh, I had an Apple II Plus when I was Ooh. in, I think, junior high. I was trying to think back about you're, this. You're gonna date yourself. Yeah, no kidding. Well, I've got enough gray now. I think it's pretty <laughs> obvious. <laughs> but uh, I, I really had a lot of time, uh, had fun programming on that. I got sort of addicted to the Oregon Trail game because it was like one of the first games and the like Lemonade and all these games that probably wouldn't hold my interest anymore. Uh, so played with that. We got one at home. First we had one in, in class, then my parents sprung for one. We got one at home. Played with that for a while. Went into, went into college. Uh, well, let me, let me step back a little bit. Prior to college, we moved from L.A. to the Navajo Reservation, which oh. is kind of interesting because it's funny yeah. how, you know, when you get to be older and you look back and you think about, like, how did I get here? You see some of these pivotal events that kind of shaped you are, and I, I've spent most of my life as a consultant, and this was my first consulting gig. I'm on the Navajo Reservation, I'm in high school, totally bored out of my mind, uh, and I'm working as an aide for the counselor's office, and they're having this hard time with these paper records that they had, and meanwhile they've got this Apple IIe sitting in a box, with Apple Works sitting in a box, right? And I'm like, I have nothing to do. Why don't I just convert all your paperwork to AppleWorks? Now, you know, AppleWorks had this thing kind of like FileMaker Pro right. where you could do like a database. Yeah. So I put everything in there. I don't know how long that took. Trained everybody, built them manuals on how to use it, supported it for quite a while after we got it going. And they used it as far as I know. I'm sure they're not so, still using it. But. So what... Um, what was the driver for you guys moving to the Navajo Reservation? Yeah, it was, um, it was actually my mom. So we were, we were in Irvine, which uh, at the time, L.A.'s smog was really at the peak of being bad. I mean, it's still pretty bad, but it was really bad back then. And she was starting to have some lung issues, and the doctor said, you really kind of need to get out of here. My mom was a nurse, okay. and so she applied to the Indian Health Service, and they said, where would you like to work? And she said, somewhere rural. Huh. So they just kind of, you know... Covered their eyes and threw a dart at a map and said, uh, "Well, how about how about New Mexico, right? So we're up way up, kind of by Farmington and Gallup, if you know that area. Yeah, just yeah, right on the edge of the reservation. They call it checkerboard land out there, but okay, yeah. So it was a pretty interesting experience. Right? I bet. Yeah, yeah. It, it's funny. Also, um, I was listening to a different podcast today, and coincidentally, they brought up the fact that FileMaker still exists and is still owned by Apple." And it's still produced today and updated regularly. You wouldn't know it, really, but, but it still exists out there. So if you wanted to make a FileMaker database today, you could go do it. Oh my gosh, that's amazing! Yeah, yeah, that's funny. So, um, so you had this initial consulting gig, unbeknownst right. to you, that you, yeah. you know, just out of boredom, and then and where'd you go from there? Okay, so then I went to college, and I really wanted to be a double E. Right, my okay. whole thing was I was going to make a solar-powered car. Nice. So the whole, you know, this was back in. Uh, this would have been the 80s, right, mid-80s. And uh, so I thought, okay, we're gonna invent solar panels that are flexible, and we're gonna put them on the car, we're gonna battery operated. And uh, so 
went to drafting class, it's like, oh my gosh, this sucks. I hate drafting. I hated everything about it. Like, and then I went to my instructor and said, would I be doing a lot of this as an engineer? He's like, oh yeah. Like, okay, maybe I'll do something else. So I went into the business college and I flopped around for quite a while trying to figure out what to do. And I was going in between majors, really not sure what I was doing. And meanwhile, I had a account on our local Unix system and I was keeping in touch with friends of mine that had, you know, with, with Elm and stuff, right? Uh, that had moved on and yeah. then, you know, I had an email address at the college and I was writing scripts to parse my email and I was doing all these things with coding. And my roommate says, you know, I'm talking to him one day about, well, I just don't know what to do in life. And he said, would you enjoy all that scripting stuff you're doing? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I do. I said, well, why don't you go into computers? I mean, you've got a computer. You're always on the computer. You really enjoy it. I'm like, well, yeah, that's not a bad idea. Maybe I'll look into that. So I ended up with an MIS degree and so uh, that's kind of how I ended up in that field. And um, what's funny is I started in security and I had no idea until I left and then came back and realized, oh, yeah, I actually was in security and I didn't know it. I started as uh, an intern at IBM and their yeah. federal systems group. Okay. And so we, uh, the team that I was embedded with, uh, did all the sonar systems for the older submarines. So the old okay. diesel submarines. And we had a fully decked out lab that had all the gear that a sub would have. It didn't look like a sub, it looked like an IT room, right? Raised floor and everything. Yep. But it had all the computers. And then IBM had this directive that every department had to use an RS6000. They were all gonna get one, and they had to figure out how to integrate it into their operations. And all the engineers were, you know, they were doing hacks on these Unisys computers and stuff. And they're like, I don't know what to do with this. Give it to Steve, right? So I'm the intern. I didn't know TCP IP. Oof. I knew Unix scripting, right? But yeah. I know TCP IP, I'm in this DOD secure lab, all right? I had to get a clearance to get my internship. And uh, so I couldn't, I could call the IT people at IBM for support, but they couldn't come visit because they weren't cleared. So I'm having to kind of like learn through them and then try something and then call them back and say it didn't work and try, right? And uh, so that was interesting is I ended up uh, doing two internships with them doing that. Then I ended up taking a full-time job as a sysadmin doing that. So I ended up doing about three years in that DOD environment where I ran, you know, we, we built a bunch of R6000 clusters. I got them a bunch of compile software development tools that they could use on there. And yeah. the compile time was way faster than like, you know, trying to compile it on uh, Unisys gear and whatnot. Right. So, uh, you know, we did network security because we wanted to extend the lab into the offices because we had a cleared mm. office space but nobody right. could do any technology in there because they had to always go to, lab. to the lab so we ran secure network and i worked with x stations and all that stuff so i didn't really ever think about that as being security till way way later right when i i realized like well i've been through some of this um so yeah nice and so after ibm so after ibm um my manager at IBM met with me and he said, Steve, we really love what you're doing, but we don't see a career path for this at IBM. Like, well, meanwhile, I'm really, I'm really loving this. Like, right. well, maybe it's time for me to move on. So I had a friend at HP Consulting and he put in a good word for me and I got hired there. And that's when I had left security and started doing HP OpenView and I became oh, an OpenView consultant. Yeah, well, it was funny because if, uh, Sadly, much of my legacy remains online. Uh, I wrote a Dr. OpenView column for the OpenView forum. It was a big users group at the time, right. actually a huge user group around OpenView. So I wrote their column forever, and, and I, uh, I did a lot of consulting around OpenView, but yeah. Although, you know, if you would have stayed at IBM, you probably would have ended up working in the, the Tivoli group and would have 
Yes. Um, you know, had similar pains with with any of the, the uh, Tivoli products. So I guess yes. you know, one way or the other, you would have gotten it. Yeah. Yeah, and I think you know, to to be fair to OpenView, it's a good. It was a good suite. You had just yeah. like a lot of these things where they're you know like a SIM or ServiceNow or any of these things. You you can't buy it. Spend some consulting time configuring it, and then wave goodbye to right. the consultant and not staff that tool appropriately. Right, it's just going to sort of languish yep. where it's at. And so I had so many. It took me a long time to realize, in my consulting time, I was like, wow, you know, I'm building. It's kind of like you know, I gave birth to this baby and I raised it to age five, and then I handed it to Alex, and Alex, and I look back later, and it's at age four, it's like right. degraded, right? Right. Uh, Alex yeah. took it and put it in a playpen. Um, and then went about about his business without, you know, maybe threw some food at it right. every once in a while, and right, you know, right. So, so I did that for gosh, I don't know how long. And then uh, in 2001, uh, some folks that I had met while working at a startup company, they started a security co consulting company, and they wanted to be a product company. So there was actually uh, another person slated to be the chief engineer for that. And uh, he decided he had some other goals. And so he met with me one day and said, here's my idea for the product. Have fun. You know, and he, was, <laughs> he was there to help, you know. I mean, it's not like he said, don't talk to me ever again. Right? right. But, you know, and so I ended up writing the product. And it ended up being like a, uh, so it was, it was sort of a Qualys while Qualys was still getting started. And the idea okay. wasn't so much looking for vulnerabilities as it was baselining a network and then letting you know when it changed. Got it. Right. So more like a tripwire. Yeah, maybe like a tripwire for the network. Yeah. Right? It was an appliance, yeah. you know, we had to do, and I was a sole developer for quite a while, and we had to, you know, we had to get that whole appliance thing worked out and everything. Um, so, uh, so that was kind of me getting back into security, and I did that more as a developer. That was really fun. Um, we, we, uh, we're hoping to get some funding on that. We never really did. So in my prototype ended up getting shrink wrapped and sold. And we actually sold a few of them. Not nice. really probably enough to, to pay the bills. And then that company re-engineered itself. What happened was we found a niche for that product in the uh, process control space, oh. specifically in power and refining. Because they have Makes these sense. fairly static environments, right? Right. And so, it, and they're, they're old school. Uh, there's not a lot of complexity, and you're going to find a bunch of vulnerabilities in there anyway. So those aren't as interesting as these are hopefully fairly closed networks. So right. if another system pops up in there, that, that would be interesting, right. right? You want to know about that. Right. So we found some traction in there, but, uh, but in doing that, we found, um, we found an even better opportunity around providing security consulting to those groups. Oh. Right? And so we, we developed a standard security architecture. This was at the time... Um, where the uh, a lot of those environments had traditionally not been connected to the corporate network, and so right. they were secure because of their isolation. But then corporate started having systems where they wanted to pull that data back. Right? It's kind of the precursor to big data. Yep. So they want to start pulling that data back. Well, how do you do that? Well, let's hook you up to the internet or to the intranet. Right. Right. And which, and which is you know going to be a two-way connection, and so now you're you know technically connected to the internet because the corporate intranet is connected yep. to the internet. Yep. yep. Exactly. So we developed, uh, you know, the, the cool thing about that space is the control system vendor uh, landscape is fairly small. There's not like 10,000 players in yeah. that space, right? And so we, and they work similarly, that we could come up with a compartmentalization scheme where you could drop a firewall in and you'd have, you know, you'd have the important stuff in, in an important zone and you have like the view only stuff in a different zone. And, 
and all that. So we had a standard architecture around that, and we we implemented that for quite nice. a few different companies. So that was cool. Yep. And then at some point you made it to Stars. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So um, that company's still going, but there was a lot of travel. I decided I want to kind of come back home. I'd done a lot of travel with the OpenView stuff. I was probably on the road. 10 months a year yeah, now for that's no 10 fun. some years. Maybe, so. you know, you're young and single, That that's a lot of fun, right? You can right. travel all over the place and stuff yeah. like that, but then at some point it gets a little old. Right, you know, my wife picketing at the airport. Like, right. <laughs> you know, so, um, so yeah, I decided to come home. I did a brief uh, stint at Comcast as an operations architect, and um, that was that was a good role at a bad time for Comcast. They weren't quite sure what to do with that role, so it was kind of hard for me to find my place there and so I decided it was probably best for them and me to, to move on and so I found that opportunity at Stars. Nice. So, yeah. So I, I think most people are probably familiar with Stars, the name at least, um, through the cable channel. But I, I'm guessing that there's probably more to Stars than just a cable channel. Um, so yeah. what, what functions are, are in there? Yeah, so some of the things that surprise people about the you know the industry industry we're in, you know, we're premium content providers. What we are, by the way. Yes. So you know. Yes. And I, um, I don't want to sell you short there. Please, Steve. please don't. Yeah. And uh, did I mention number two? I'm sorry. Just as <laughs> well. So the idea is, you know, there's our traditional business where we have relationships with the various studios and we can get content from them, right? So a Disney relationship or an MGM relationship and we can access their content, yep. hopefully before the other guys do and we can show that to you early on, right? So we've had some, you know, we had a really close relationship with Disney. We've got close relationships with quite a few uh, different studios. Yeah, uh, didn't you guys have a, I don't wanna call it exclusive, but it's sort of an early access to like one of the Star Wars movies? We did, first, we did, yeah. And I can't remember remember which title that was, but yeah, I think it was sometime. Yeah. Maybe episode eight. Ago. When hey, that came out. Oddly enough, for being in my industry, I'm yeah. not or really... Seven, yeah. sorry. Okay, anyway, yeah. Whatever. I'm not as in tune with... Movie. I'm really not a media guy so yeah. much. I've really tried. Everybody makes fun of me because I got rid of my tube TV about two years ago. You know? <laughs> uh, but yeah, we do have some of those kind of deals. And then, so, you know, we've got our ongoing catalog of titles that from the studios. But uh, really, even before I joined in uh, 2011, our CEO, Chris Albrecht, came from HBO and he said, Originals is where it's at. We're gonna really make our mark with Originals. He had driven that at HBO. So so he made that a point at Stars. I okay. think that was the most amazing decision ever, right? I mean, I think it's really, he did the guys right on with that, right? So you'll see, you know, I mean, we made an announcement a few years ago that we were gonna really push that and you're seeing a lot more Originals come out to the point where, you know, me that doesn't watch a lot of TV, I can't even keep up. Just that's all I watch is our originals, and right. I can't keep up. Right. So, so we, you know, we, so we're the channel, right? So if you flip over to Stars, there we are. Um, what we do is when you buy Stars through that path, you're buying it from Comcast or DirecTV. You're not buying it from us. Right. Right. So they buy it and then they resell it to you. Recently, we've also uh, offered an over-the-top model. Right. Right. That's what we call where you can go direct. So that's kind of our first foray into uh, direct-to-consumer, and that's been extremely successful. Having looked at a lot of the other online platforms that our competition has, I think I can honestly say we have a really tight app for that, and nice. it's a really good experience. So it's I'm sure it's 100% secure also. 100%, yeah, yeah. This is not a challenge to anybody listening, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. No. So anyhow, 
yeah, so that's that's us. Cool. Right. Um, so I, I noticed when you gave me your actual title um, that it is not just a security title, uh, which I think is interesting. Um, you know, you wear sort of a couple different hats or cover a couple different functions. I wonder if you want to talk a little bit about all the stuff that uh, that your group does or that you're in charge of. Sure. So I mentioned we're a fairly small IT group. We uh, we also are a little bit uh, non-traditional in the sense we don't have a CIO. And okay. our IT, uh, the functions you would call IT sort of fall into two SVP realms. Okay. Okay. The one I'm in would be what you'd probably call like infrastructure and operations. That actually used to be our title a while ago. Um, we had a we had a, a director uh, move on to another opportunity, and we kind of all got together. And our boss said, you know, rather than just fill this position and keep going, is this an opportunity for us to retool a little bit? All right. And so one of the things that we decided is, um, you know. Back when I was in the OpenView days, um, I spent a lot of time running a combined process and technology implementations where you'd have ITIL consultants. And you know, the OpenView and the service desk, at the time it was service desk or Remedy, right? And we go in there and we'd give you incident management, change management, yep. we plug OpenView in, all that stuff, right? So um, I got my ITIL foundation cert so long ago, we had to fly somebody out from the Netherlands to do the testing because <laughs> they weren't offering any testing in the U.S. Wow. So uh, it's, that was like 99, I think, or 98. So it was a while ago, and I've, I have gotten every penny worth out of that. I mean, I I've bet. really been working that. You know, and I've watched alongside as we have the, the pros in, right, and I see what they're doing, and it made a lot of sense. And one of the things that ITIL talks about is this whole concept of, you know, IT as a service provider. Yep. Right? And what we kind of realized is we had been doing a really good job of answering the phones. And in certain areas, we'd done a pretty good job of being integrated in a small part of the business. But we really weren't integrated into the rest of the business, right? And so as a security guy, so one of the challenges that we have in media and entertainment is very few of us are governance organizations. So there's no little right. slot in the systems lifecycle where I can just, hey, here's where you call Steve and make sure he's okay with it before you move on, right? And so there's, I mean, we don't even have necessarily centralized procurement organizations all the time and all these different things, right? Yeah. So, so it's really hard to kind of wrangle all the, all the monkeys or whatever around security. Um, and so what you have is, you know, you know the security organizations in the corner, and they're doing the best that they can do with, you know, the the, the ubiquitous infrastructure. Right? We got firewalls, antivirus, and maybe DLP and whatnot. But there's all these side efforts going on, right? At the same time, we so we wanted visibility into that, and at the same time, we wanted to help with that, right? I mean, so our CEO got in front of us. It was kind of good timing because he got in front of us in all hands, and he said, "We're going to really push originals." And so, you know. Uh, we were talking about it. it's like so how do we support that right and the answer is not well let's get more networking and more storage right, right. i mean that's the easy answer right? right but it's like how do we support that so that was part of what my organization was tasked to do so that's the solutions part right and uh so that's that so so how is it that you went about trying to you know enable that different sort of uh framework which, which i think is great you know that's one of the things that i try and you know, uh, push to people is, you know, security, it shouldn't be, uh, 
um, about saying no. It shouldn't be um, about trying to prevent things. It should be able about trying to enable the business to do what the business wants to do in a secure way. I'm 100% with you. And so that goes right along with what you're saying. So, so how is it that you guys went and, and put that into reality? Yeah. So it was interesting, uh, and, and I have a fantastic team, and they get all the credit for this, right? And I know I've, uh, some people have heard this story already, but um, so what I, I decided to do is we, you know, we couldn't cover, I have five people on the team, so I can't cover the whole business. I mean, yep. even though we're small, there's so much going on in each of those areas. So we, we sort of carved out areas that were important to us that we thought were really key to that whole vision around, let's produce more content, uh, you know, let's be more efficient, whatever, getting that, uh, be better, serve our customers better, right? So then what I did is we, we, we identified five areas, because I have five people, and I went to each of the heads of each of those areas and I said, okay, hey, Alex, I would like to introduce you to Steve Wastel. He is your IT guy. And I really would like you to have him at your staff meetings and I would like you to involve him on your projects and I would like you to task him with things. He is your IT guy. So, so wait, Steve, you're giving me another body that I get to, yes. to manage? Yes. Yeah. I, I love you, Steve. This is awesome. I, yeah. I wanted another person. No problem, Alex. Anytime. Yeah. I'll send you the bill. Yeah. But no. So, I mean, and um, so we did that, right? And so then, and, and, and I explained our plan around that. I was very transparent. Like, we want to be your enabler. We want to help. And, um, you know, the reception was really good with that, right? So at the same time, uh, then I would take Alex right, the person on my team, and I would uh, pull, pull Alex aside and i say, okay, Alex, um, go help these people, right? And while you're doing it, you need to bring back to us, how do they work? What technology are they using? What are the challenges? What are the risks that you're identifying there, right? And I was also transparent with the business, like, hey, this is Alex's, this is my evil, you know, half of why I'm having Alex engage with you, is that we wanna learn more about you. He's gonna bring information about how you operate back to us, us being, uh, you know, our IT group, we're called IT services, right? That's part of our rebranding. Yeah. And uh, so that's that's really worked well. So we had an initial push on that, which was fantastic. Um, we engaged out and we actually developed um, uh, an architecture that's essentially like, this is how STARS works. We presented that to the IT services team. My team presented the whole thing, it was great. Um, We've got a lot better engagement in a lot of areas than we had before. I think a particular success that we've had is we had almost no engagement with the originals team. Yeah. I didn't even really know who to call over there, to be honest. And, um, and we've got a person embedded in there 100% right now. That's awesome. So it's really good. So, so what are the, some of the things that you have learned by, by having those people embedded in the different teams? Well, well it's interesting because um, it's it's easy to go into an environment like that and say, hey, you know what, I wanna help, just let me help. It's, it's a lot harder to manage the workload around right. helping, right? And there's so much going on and we want to be of, of assistance with everything and we, we're finding that we can't. Yep. And so then how do you manage that? So managing expectations around that. I, we've done okay, I mean, we haven't had any complaints or anything, but it's always a challenge, right? Um, and, and there's definitely a lot going on there. Um, We've, we've, uh, in, in terms of what we've learned, I think it's been an educational experience for our customers. Uh, I'm very fortunate in that the company is very security aware and they're very interested in security. So I don't have a lot of pushback on that front. And so we end up being able to extend 
all the things that we're paranoid about out to them and get a lot of trash. And so we have business owners coming back to us saying, hey, I want to right. do this differently. Hey, how do I segment this environment so it's not on the corporate network? I heard about that, you know, in some seminar. I'm like, yeah, okay, cool. So, so that's good. Yeah, that, that's great. Um, have you, so you we only have five guys, so you're only in five areas. Mm -hmm. um, have you seen any traction from areas that you are not in that, that maybe someone there said, hey, I, I heard that um, you've got this guy over in um, in the originals area that's helping you with all this stuff. Um, how do I get one of those guys? Have you had anybody come back to you and say, hey, we'd really love to have one of your guys come over now that we've heard good things? Yeah, kind of, kind of, not quite that way, right? Because we haven't been like, hey, don't talk to Alex because he's the originals guy, right? right. And um, while well, we went out the chute with this idea of Alex's originals and Steve's broadcast and whatever, uh, the reality is Alex has a specific skill set and Steve has a specific skill set. So right. in a way, those skill sets sort of apply and then you don't have a specific skill set, right? So if the guy in original says, hey, you know, single sign-on would be really useful for some of these cloud apps that we're using, he, he may not have the expertise to really execute on that. Meanwhile, the single sign-on guy is a guy assigned over here to post-production or whatever, right? So we found ourselves cross-pollinating a lot more than yeah. we originally thought we would, which is not a bad thing. Right. Just a, it's a growth thing, right? And so because of that, I think the company sees us more as a general resource than the originals and broadcast only. Yeah. So we don't have as much of that, like, I want that guy it's more of people coming to us and saying, hey, I have a problem too. Right. Can you help me with that? Um, so. Have you, has this led to any discussions about uh, increasing your staff or increasing more people to help in those other areas or so that you can, uh, you, you know, you said obviously there's a backlog of things that you want, that these yeah. uh, teams want to get done. Um, have you gotten to that point yet where it's, oh, look, these guys are being really effective. We can be more effective if we had one, two, five, ten more people. I mean, it's, I don't think there's any of us who's like, yeah, I could use more staff. Right. The the hard part is how to articulate that quantitatively, right? Yep. And so one of the things that I haven't done a good job of that's, you know, this this year is going to be the back the back to basics year for me. Okay. Um, one of the things that I need to do a better job of is capturing that workload in a way that I can articulate that and say, look, this is exactly how where we're spending our time, exactly on what, right? We're we're small enough that we've sort of been able to sort of not have to deal with project tracking and tickets and all that kind of stuff that we should really be doing. So once I can articulate that better, I would love to have that conversation. But yeah. 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 So th that's a, a great segue um, into the stuff that you're looking to do this year. So back to basics, are there any, you know, besides trying to articulate everything that you guys have to do and, and uh, how to essentially justify additional people to help do that, what are some other basics that are, that you're trying to Go yeah. back and look at this year. Yeah, so so one of the things I actually popped something on the uh, Slack channel today was this whole concept of like having a risk register, right? So because right. of where we sit in life, um, we tend to be playing whack-a-mole with a lot of things with security, right? It's not anybody's fault. It's just kind of how it happens, right? You know, I happen to be in the break room and hear like, what? Oh, wait a minute. You know, you're using Dropbox for, for you know, highly sensitive stuff or, you know, we, we have this... Uh, we have this engine that if you if you drop content in the right place, it pops up online. Whoops, sorry, pops up online and uh, is automatically world viewable. And every once in a while, the wrong thing goes into that engine and pops up, you know, out for the world to see, right? And quick, take care of that. So there's all these these you know um, opportunities that come up, right? And how to capture that 
you know, it's it's the risk assessment and risk management 101. Right. But it's kind of the stuff that's really easy to talk about and then at least for me, a little harder to execute on consistently. How do you grab that, track it, right. classify it, keep that updated, make sure you're managing it. Yep. I, I, I would love to have my executive team walked up to me and say, what are the five biggest risks that we have today? And be able to answer that with confidence, right? Yeah. I mean, I can come up with five, no problem, but I, am I sure those are the five? I'm not still 100% sure, right? Right. So that's what that's all about. Um, you know, we spent a lot of time in 2017 beefing up some core um, technology areas where we really wanted to have more capability, so we bought a lot of stuff. This year, we'd like to really kind of roll that out and uh, get some more traction around that. So we purposely kind of backed off a little bit from the new projects budget, right? We have some things, but a lot of it's going to be around, you know, we've got... Um, you know, cloud identity management, cloud identity provider capability now. So we want to be able to leverage that. And, and uh, we're already doing a lot of that. We'd like to do a lot more of that this year. Um, you know, things around, we've up improved our SIM, we've improved some other, you know, hunting capabilities inside. Uh, PAM. Yeah. So we just kind of want to just kind of get the most value out of it as we can before we start piling on new things. Nice. Yeah, th those are some great ones. Um, so uh, you have you have this online uh, over-the-top streaming service. Um, I'd imagine that the folks that are developing that are you know sort of modern, um, you know, agile, maybe DevOps, um, yeah. you know, quick to deploy uh, kind of resources. The way that they're doing this um, is that something that that you guys are having to wrestle a lot with. Um, trying to fit what you guys are doing into you know, sort of a, a newer, faster model of of IT in general. Yeah, well, and I mean, I heard some others mention Sec DevOps, and that's yep. definitely something I'd like to tackle this year. There's a lot of technology around that, but then there's I think some basics that are not even there's some process basics around that, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, our our the the team that develops the app and the online presence is fantastic, and they have really executed. And the challenge for us is how do we get in there and help them with security. They're actually really good, so I don't spend a lot of cycles worrying about it, but at the same time, I'm sure there's opportunities, right? Um, how do we get into that without interrupting that flow, right? right? And I, I feel like, I think this, this is true of all the SecDevOps movement, right? But the idea is help them with their own tools, right? Give them capabilities that they can use that just flow right in with the process of continuous integration, you know, continuous build, and all that stuff. So. Yeah, I mean that that totally goes back to the whole enable, excuse me, enabler conversation, right? Right. So it's like you want to help enable the business to to be better, to move faster, uh, and you know a lot of times the the way that we do security in a development way is gates and yeah. and you know more yeah. things that they have to do, and that's that's completely the opposite of of making things go faster. So. Uh, not to say that we, we don't want to accomplish those same things in the, the DevOps, DevSecOps kind of world, but um, just you know saying, oh, well, you need to do security and dropping security into what they're doing, uh, that's going to blow a lot of stuff Active up. work. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, there's, there's, uh, that's our bread and butter right now. I mean, that's really hot for us. I mean, there's so much tension around that. 
app yeah. and it'll just keep getting better, right? Not just even for the over the top, but we had that app out for years prior to, you know, a, as a customer. So let's say if you're a Comcast customer, you yep. can pull up the app and be entitled, right? And yeah, that's really key. And it's funny because you mentioned something earlier I wanted to hit on. Uh, you talked about like, you can't say no. And it's funny because um, I've had folks on my team that were brought up as security people their whole life, right? Yep. And that was a hard pill for them to swallow a little bit, right? Like, I can't believe you're okay with this. It's like, well, you gotta understand it, right? The business is not trying to be malicious. They're trying to get something done. Yep. And in today's day and age especially, right, if you're the guy with a no sign, you're just gonna, everybody just walks around around you and goes and pulls a credit card out and does it themselves, yep. right? I mean, more than ever, you really don't have a no, you can't, so it's not, no, it's like, how do I, you said it, right? How do I help you do this securely? Yep. And that's the message. Yeah, and you know, from, from my perspective, you know, there are times when, you know, if someone is trying to do something that is blatantly stupid, right? You have to say no. Right. Um, hey, we want to make um, you know our, our customer database with all the information, you know, publicly available on the internet because um, it's easier for X. All right, okay, yeah. Yeah, t time out. That's a no. You can't do that. Um, but if it's hey, we want to develop some new capability to to share our customer information with with partners, you're like okay. Um, you know, some people might say. Well, no, we we, ha we can't make that available. It's going to increase our, our attack surface so much, and so on and so forth. But you know, the way I would look at it is, okay, well, this is a business requirement. I'm sure that there, you know, we can talk about the, you know, the business goal that this is going to help us meet. Okay, well, we got to do that. Then we got to figure right. out how it is that we can get these guys to do this in a way that satisfies what they want to do and satisfies what we want to do. Yep. Yeah, I agree totally. Yeah, and you said it right. You you kind of whittle that down to you know, like, what are you trying to accomplish, and let's yep. make sure you can accomplish that. Right. And I've had a few of those pop up. They haven't been too bad. And you can very quickly diffuse those with like, here's the risk that yeah, you're presenting, exactly. right? And, and I'm not here to tell you no. I'm not telling you no, but I just want to say I want to do it differently because here's the risk. And I've really not ever had it. Like, well, no, we're totally okay with that. Yep. Right? And um, the interesting, you know, one interesting topic too is I went to a, that's uh, kind of changed my perspective on those conversations. Did the Gartner Security Risk Security and yep. Risk Summit a few years ago. Yep. There was a presenter from one of the utility companies out on the West Coast, and he talked about coming in to the organization as like the 20th CISO, like <laughs> the other 19 of them or whatever had failed utterly, right? And they'd had breaches and they'd, you know. And so he comes in and he's like, okay, how, how am I going to be any different than the other guys, right? And so one of the things that he, his presentation was all around, and this theme is common now, but at the time it was the first I'd heard this. He said, you know, the, the CISO can't really own the risk anymore. Yep. And so he, he went in and he convinced the executive team and the board, like, my job is to consult to the business and to help them mitigate their risks, but they own the risk. And they, it's their job to present the risk to you, the board, and the executive team. Right, which is big, that's a big political win, I think. But it makes sense, right? Because when the business owns the risk, they're aware of it. And, and it's there. They're, they're not like, the situation I don't want to have at SARS is like, I can do whatever I want. If I don't hear from Steve, then it must be okay. Right. Right. Um, so I think you, that's, that's another one of my uh, evil plans. Stars <laughs> is to try to foster a little more of that culture. So those are yep. kind of how I have the conversation, right? Here's the risk that you are accepting by 
putting all these credit card numbers out on the internet with no security rate or whatever. Yeah, and I mean, in, in business, everything really boils down to risk reward, right? So yeah. your job is to make money. Um, and if doing something can make you a billion dollars, um, but the, the security risk that comes with that is a million dollars, every day you're gonna go, totally. I'll, I'll take that security yeah. risk all day long. Great. Um, yeah. But if you, know, if you can make a billion dollars, but the security risk is $2 billion, okay, well, let's figure something out so that we can actually end up making money instead of in the long run losing it. Yep. Yeah, so we've, so. we've had, that's kind of how we've steered a lot of the discussions, right? You know, and when we're in that mode of like, okay, you know, um, I'm across the table from the business and they're like, you know, we gotta do it this way. And I'm like, well, you gotta risk. You know, at some point I get to like, do you understand the risk? Yeah. Right. Are you okay with that? Right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. You know, if this backfires and, you know, X, Y, Z events happen, you know, how is that going to affect you? Oh, it's going to be a big effect to you? Okay. Right. Well, let's make sure that X, Y, Z events are minimized. Yeah. Great. Sounds good. Yep. Um, so we're getting close to our time here, Steve. Um, is there anything that you wanted to cover um, or any sort of final thoughts you wanted to talk about before we wrap up? Um, you know, the other initiative that we have for this year uh, is, um, and this this may resonate with some folks, but um, given that I think ever since, you know, the 2008 crisis and everything, we've all kind of had to deal with doing more with less. Yeah. Right? Um, I've been asking my team uh, to focus on automation. Yeah. So we, we don't have a security ops team, really, right? And so the good news is the entire IT organization supports security. So it's not like Steve is getting in there making firewall rule changes or chasing down a virus necessarily every time, but we do jump in and help with those. And yep. if there's a minor incident, we're in there. And, and uh, so I've asked the guys to, uh, to focus on, okay, let's take a look at things that we do that are repeatable and let's automate those. We have all the tools, right? I mean, if you go over to the DevOps world, they're all there. Yep. All the tools are right there for us to use. And uh, let's go use those, right? So, I mean, there's even simple things like if we get a report from a user like, hey, I think this might be a phishing email. There's all sorts of manual things we do today. It's like, why are we doing that? Why aren't we collecting that? I mean, that's like a 10 minute job once or twice a day. Like, yep. Right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, I, I feel exactly the same way, and, and we're feeling that pain around uh, phishing as well. Uh, one of the things that uh, that we've looked at a little bit is Logarithm released a tool last year called uh, the Phishing Intelligence Engine or something. They they built it themselves uh, for, for their own work. Um, you know, it, it obviously it works with Logarithm um, and uh, the, also with Office 365, but it automates a lot of that that stuff. So cool. they made the tool freely available um, if it works for your environment or you can modify it or whatever. But it's, you know, it's, it's that same idea. It's trying to take all this manual work out of, um, out of what people are doing on their everyday uh, workloads. Yeah, so, I mean, it just frees you up for, for higher functions, right? I mean, right. It's, hey, I, yeah. I, I know for the, every phishing email, I'm gonna have to you know, look up what the actual you know, sending email um, server is. Um, you know, does it match what the the actual email that it's coming from is, you know, who owns this IP, you know, all these little things that you have to do, um, you know, are the links in there malicious? Stuff that's fairly easy, you know, to automate. And then sort of on the second process, it's, there's all the whole communication process, mm -hmm. you know, so someone reports it, you know, maybe you have to ask them a question or maybe you have to pull some data based on that. Maybe you, and then you have to obviously contact them back. And then is it, 
you know, do I ask them to delete the email? Do I, you know, whatever? And, you know, this automates some of that too is, okay, we've decided this is malicious. It can actually automatically go out and delete the messages from, you right. know, from their inbox and anyone else that received that message too. And it's like, that, that's such a, you know, um, a scaling prospect right there to, to, oh, yeah. to reduce that overhead. Yeah, well, and I mean, you know, we, uh, so I, uh, my peer is the DevOps manager, right? So we all report through the same chain and I, I hear about all the automation that they've got going on on their side of the world and it's interesting how that's kind of burned into their mentality, right? If I have to do something more than three times, like, oh gosh, I should automate this probably, yep. right? Or meanwhile, over here, we're back, you know, I'm, I'm still doing everything you just talked about yep you know, or having somebody else do it over and over and over. So there's a lot of um, tools that can support that, right? I mean, I didn't know about the logarithm tool. Obviously, you know, if you have a workflow management ticketing system, yep. all, any of those can help with that. Yeah, I so, mean, and, and you know, all these uh, security orchestration automation tools that are yep. coming into existence, that's, you know, part of their allure and, yep. you know. Yeah. And obviously, I mean, some of these things are, you know, pretty easy sort of script building blocks too, right? You know, so you know, pulling out an IP address and looking up information about it, not super hard to do. And, and I could see where it would be fairly easy to, yeah. you know, if you, if you get your workflow down about how it is that you're, you're gonna do this to, to pull those out. Yep. And that's part of it for me too, is I think a lot of times we do this stuff by rote, but we don't actually have the process that we follow even documented. Exactly. You know, yeah. so it's, um, you know, maybe you have something that says, oh, when we get a, a phishing email from a customer, you know, we investigate, um, you know, we open a ticket and we do, you know, then we you know, do whatever based on what we find. Well, okay, well, what's that investigate piece? What, what's the standard that you do there? Right. Getting people to document those everyday processes um, is sort of the start of it, but something I think we overlook a lot too. Yep. Well, and it makes it, and you know, because we're not documenting it, we're probably not doing it consistently. Yep. Yeah, so this guy know. investigates differently than that guy right. does. And, right. So, yeah. and then, you know, uh, kind of goes back to, uh, I we personally haven't been doing the best job tracking all of that information, right? So that may not be something we're doing well. So if you were to ask me how many of those did I get last year, I'd have to kind of probably sift around through email and a bunch of things to kind of pull that. So I think having all that bundled in automation, it's just like anything else, right? The more you do that, then the more you kind of build a culture around doing that. And then the yep. more you start seeing opportunities to continue to do that. That's my hope at least. So yeah, for sure. For us. Yep. Well, cool. Um, thanks, Steve. It's been a great conversation. Um, appreciate you being on the show. Yeah. Um, we'll, we'll have to loop back around, you know, maybe in a year or so, figure out how all these initiatives went. Great. And, uh, and thanks. Appreciate yeah. you being here. It was great. Thank you very much. So this has been Colorado Equals Security, and we'll talk to you next time. Learn more about the Colorado security scene at colorado-security.com, where you can see information about local security groups, a calendar of upcoming security events, and learn more about Colorado Equals Security. Reach out to Alex and Rob by emailing info at colorado-security.com. Until next time, remember, Colorado Equals Security.